0: Dear listener, my name is Rose Goldthorpe. I am the writer and producer of this audio drama. I wish to welcome you to the first season of our Wessex dramas called Desperate Remedies. We will be adapting the whole series of Thomas Hardy novels to audio drama format, kicking it off with his novels of ingenuity. This season will be an adaptation of the book Desperate Remedies. It is a Victorian romantic gothic thriller. We hope you have your lace handkerchiefs and fainting couches at the Red Inn. We hope you like it.
1: A pretty blonde young woman of around 18 is walking in the direction of the town hall, which is immediately opposite to a small church with a new spire being built. A small approaching crowd, heading for the announced Shakespeare reading, is very dull and of largely elderly people wearing blacks and browns. The young woman stands out with her lavender dress, her trim, shapely black jacket and her grey gloves and bonnet with lavender ribbon piping and ribbons. The young woman walks up the steps of the town hall after glancing at the event poster. The attractive young woman, Cytherea Grey, selects a side aisle as she walks up the big concert hall so that she can see out of the window. Cytherea finds the view out of the window that she wants, looks anxiously at it, and then sits slowly down. The view is that of three working men and a middle-aged man in a suit instructing them. They are on a scaffolding around a partly finished spire on the church opposite to the town hall.
2: Be careful, father.
1: The lecturer walks out from the wings onto the stage, and Cytherea then looks at him. Lecturer gets out a book and starts to introduce his reading. Scytheria anxiously looks up at her father again.
2: Why do you have to go up there?
1: There are the three workers in placing the tiles onto the leads, and Mr Gray's senior, Scytheria's father, inspecting the effect. The sunlight shafts down upon the spire. The architect addresses the elder of the workers.
3: Yes, these are all right at this level, but I think that as we go up,
1: um... He tips his head back and squints through the sunlight to see better, and then, absent mindedly, steps back through where there is a gap in the crude scaffolding. Mr. Gray teeters on the edge for a few seconds, frantically seeking to right himself, and then overbalances and plunges off the spire. Father! She falls in a faint and is caught mid fall by the middle aged man next to her. Cytherea is half conscious of being carried from a carriage up her house's front stairs and into the house. As she is carried out of the carriage, she sees the shafts of sun streaming down between the clouds. Her mind sees shafts of sunlight falling on church spires, and then falling on the half-finished spire which her father has just fallen off. Citherea and her brother Owen, who is just a year older, around 19, are sitting at their dead father's desk, they are both dressed in black. Owen is getting papers out of the drawers and looking at them. Scytheria is sitting listlessly at 90 degrees to him, leaning her head on her hand. Owen looks up from the papers.
3: Scythy, by the time we have sold the house and repaid the mortgage and loans, we'll have almost nothing left.
2: Oh, poor Papa. His failure in business, you know, sprang from his gloom and lassitude which arose from his original disheartening blow.
3: He once warned me not to love too blindly and to cultivate the art of renunciation.
2: Mama once said that a woman was Papa's ruin. Papa never told me her name. Oh, I wonder where she is now.
3: Well, as she wasn't our own dear departed mother, there's no point in thinking about her. Cytherea
1: stands up and sighs and smiles.
3: Oh, I have some of the bacon
2: left, Owen. Do you want a toasted sandwich for supper?
1: Owen throws his handful of bills down and then throws himself back in his chair.
3: Oh yes, please. And bucketfuls of tea, my dear.
1: Cytherea bends over and kisses him on the top of his head and goes out. Owen is worriedly studying some bills when he hears the footsteps of his sister.
3: What will become of us now?
1: He stuffs the bills down the side of his chair cushion. Scytheria comes in, carrying a tray. She smiles, sits down, and puts the tray on her elbow
3: table.
2: Well, you can have your tea now, Owen, as you've spent all day wrestling with Papa's work.
3: Wrestling, yes. Getting anywhere? No.
2: Can you not continue with his work?
1: Owen smiles sadly and slowly shakes his head.
3: I'm getting no new work. Would you give the building of your shop or school to a 19-year-old? What about the work
2: which Papa had already contracted for?
3: Hmm. I'm doing my best, Scythi, but Papa had only been teaching me for twenty-two months, so I can hardly be said to have become an architect in that time.
1: Scytheria starts pouring the tea and handing it over to Owen, who puts it on his occasional table.
2: The tradesmen know it as well, and I've had several of them hint darkly to me that they suspect that we'll be reneging on our accounts shortly.
1: Owen bursts to his feet and paces the sitting-room carpet.
3: Oh yes, yes. Just because those orphans have been left penniless, they're obviously to be distrusted because they're bound to become thieves. Oh, oh, Owen, I don't think they meant... Come off it, Scythy. You know full well we've had acquaintances scuttle past us in the street as if we were troublesome beggars. Hmm. I'm
2: afraid that I've had no takers about the advert I placed for music pupils either.
3: I suspect that building up customers takes years. And unfortunately, we don't have years. Then
2: we'll just have to see how you do with Papa's business, Owen. There. Now stop fretting. Sit down and drink your tea. Look, I've baked you some scones.
1: She proffers the plate. Owen stops pacing and smiles down at her. Cytherea and her brother are shopping. Owen is holding the basket. There are various market stores out in the street and various people shopping and children playing. There is a fat, self-satisfied shopkeeper in his apron... ...who is standing on his doorstep, talking to three women. They stare rudely at Cytherea and her brother... ...and then whisper, judgmentally against them... ...as Owen and her pass by. Owen looks back at them, hurt by their behaviour. A young, professional acquaintance of Owen's comes towards them... ...and Owen goes to shake his hand. The acquaintance, however, doesn't take the hand... ...but mumbles, pulls down his hat and hurries away. Scytheria is outraged at the unkindness. Further along the street... There are two young tradesmen who are standing at their father's stall. They are smoking and they leer outrightly at Cytherea to her face. Owen sees them and makes a quick movement to go over and remonstrate with them. But Cytherea catches his arm and pleads with him not to defend her thus. Owen storms away with Cytherea still clinging to his arm. They haven't done their shopping Scytheria is sitting, pouring out the tea for Owen, who walks in and throws himself into a chair.
3: Well, that's it. Just finished the last of father's contracts, and four of them used his demise to knock me down over prices. That's breaking contract!
1: Owen shrugs.
3: Yes, but they knew I hadn't had to have a penny to defend myself at law.
2: Oh, and they are supposed to be our neighbours and acquaintances.
3: She pours the milk and the tea, sugars it, and
1: hands the tea to Owen. Owen sighs.
3: <sighs> well, then, Scythy you won't be, unhappy um, happy to hear that I have written to an acquaintance of our father's, a Mr. Gradfield, an architect in Creston. You know, the little seaport. I'm offering him myself as apprentice for the remaining two years of my apprenticeship, which I've already half-served under father.
2: Ah, <sighs> oh, We'll be moving out of town. But I can't say that I'll be sad. I hardly hear from my two girlfriends now. They're too busy socialising and don't answer my notes. I suppose they think
3: I'm too poor to come out. We are poor, Scythy. But at least this continuation of my apprenticeship will give us some sort of income. And selling the house will clear the mortgage and the other debts that have accrued over these last nine months.
1: Scytheria has her sleeves rolled up and an apron on. She's rolling out pastry. Owen comes in waving a letter and she looks up.
3: Well, Mr. Gradfield doesn't want an apprentice but he does want a general assistant for a few months. So I'm writing an acceptance back. Today,
1: Scytheria... drops her pastry, grabs and wipes her hands on a cloth, and kisses him on the cheek.
3: Then I shall write to father's
2: old solicitor for a reference. And when we've moved into uh, some sort of accommodation, shall apply for governess jobs in the area.
1: Owen heaves a sigh of relief and nods his head.
3: Oh, well, at least we'll be rid of these debts. Ours and papa's.
1: Scytheria smiles at him.
3: Poor Papa! Things will get
2: easier now, Owen.
1: The door opens and Scytheria and Owen struggle out with shoulder bags and carrying a suitcase each. Owen takes Scytheria's suitcase and manhandles it down the steps to the bottom. He then returns for his own case, which is at the top of the stairs. Meanwhile, the handsome cabman is loading this first case. Scytheria struggles down the steps and emplaces her big shoulder bag into a cab and also Em places her small carpet bag in as well. She turns and half smiles back up at her father's house, and nods sadly at it, while Owen struggles with the other case. When Owen has got the case in, he comes over to Cytherea, puts his arms around her shoulders and squeezes them. He nods encouragingly at her, and they get into the cab. Cytherea watches their house, sadly, as they drive away. Cytherea and Owen are alone in their carriage and watch as the train races along and the landscape unfolds before them. There are lots of sheep, boggy moors and fir plantations. Then there are undulating downs and increasing glimpses of the sea by which Cytherea is absorbed and enlivened. She points out objects of interest to Owen. They arrive at Creston and disembark. Owen enters a busy office with three journeymen and two apprentices, busily drawing plans. He asks for Mr. Gradfield, who is then fetched from his private office. Mr. Gradfield has forgotten Owen's coming, but shakes his hand and asks him to start on Monday, showing Owen where he is to sit. Cytherea sits at the table and writes her advert.
2: A young lady is desirous of meeting with an engagement as governess or companion. She is competent to teach English, French, and music. Satisfactory references. Address, CG Post Office, Creston.
1: She sits back, sighs, and looks hopeful. Cytherea descends the steps onto the beach and walks along by the sea. She breathes in and looks around her at the sky and the water. She gives a little smile and speeds up her walk. Cytherea comes upon a young couple talking. The young man stops walking, takes the young woman's hand and puts it flat onto his own chest. He asks the woman a question. She hangs her head, shyly and quietly nods. Scytheria has, by this time, passed them at a slight distance. She smiles to herself and holds up her own left fourth finger. She waggles it slightly and muses upon whom will marry her. There is a little table for two in the window area, laid with ham salad, and there is a tea set ready. Scytheria is just finishing putting the bread on the table when she hears her brother return from work. She flies to let him in and kisses him on the cheek.
3: Hello, Scythy.
1: She helps him off with his coat.
2: Good evening, Owen. How did your first day go?
3: Was Mr. Gradfield there?
1: They sit down at the table and Scytheria starts pouring the tea while Owen picks up his cutlery.
3: Mr. Gradfield wasn't in, but his head clerk was. A worthy fellow. Not private school educated, but very well read. Is he an officious clerkly type?
1: She smiles, raises her eyebrows in humour and hands him his cup of tea.
3: Oh no, rather a melancholic type, I thought. Married? No. How do you know? Well, because there was a conversation going on in the office about preferences for future wives.
1: Cytherea passes Owen his sliced bread and pushes the butter dish towards him. Cytherea widens her eyes interrogatively.
3: And? He wanted a child amongst pleasures and a woman amongst pain. I paraphrase.
1: Cytherea starts pouring her own cup.
2: What a musing creature he must be.
1: The bell tinkles as Cytherea enters the shop. A well-dressed lady sweeps past her with a nod as Cytherea goes up to the counter. The lady goes out, and the postmistress nods and smiles at Cytherea. Cytherea asks if any post has arrived for herself, but the postmistress says no. Cytherea smiles, nods, Says thank you, and leaves. Owen and Cytherea are having their high tea again on the table in the window. Cytherea is pouring the tea, and Owen
3: is eating. Spring grows rather humble origins. His father is a farmer or something.
1: Cytherea milks and sugars Owen's tea.
2: Well, he's none the worse for that, I suppose.
3: Oh no! As we come down the hill, we shall continually be meeting people going up.
2: What's he look like?
3: Oh, a bit Greekish not as in that mediterranean swarthy way but like the statues you know with that straight greek nose and thick wavy blonde in his case hair
2: his uh, two ensemble is striking
3: she hands him his teacup if you mean is he sartorially inclined no he's rather messy his necktie is usually askew and he's usually got his nose in a book when not working novels She picks up her
1: cutlery and starts on her salad. Good
3: grief, no. It's usually the classics, and not in translation. He knows Shakespeare by heart, including the footnotes. I'd hate to come up against him in a debate. He writes poetry too, apparently.
2: How delicious.
3: Who for? Um, uh, um,
2: I mean, I've never met a poet.
3: Hmm. Any luck with responses
1: to your advert?
2: Oh, no.
1: Cytherea looks a bit downcast again. Cytherea goes to the post office and inquires again. The answer is still no. Cytherea wanders along the shore. She sees some boats for hire and watches in interest from a little distance as a couple take to the sea, the young man helping the young lady down into the boat. He then takes the oars and they row away. Cytherea stands watching them and smiles. She looks around the bright sky at the warm sunny day and the sparkling sea going out to the horizon. Owen and Cytherea are sitting reading. Cytherea is reading a collection of papers rather excitedly.
3: Springrove's no fool, you know.
1: He can't
2: be, to write such verses as these. They're really beautiful poems. No,
3: I was referring to what he said when some of the fellows were talking of falling in love.
2: What was that?
3: Oh, he just pointed out that many a fellow has fallen in love without actually considering if the woman he has fallen in love with is the sort of woman who he'd like to spend the rest of his life.
1: Scytheria puts down the poem she was reading.
2: Maybe he had to pay a penalty for rashness in some love affair.
3: Perhaps, but... Anyway, it doesn't matter, as he's to move to London in a fortnight to seek a career.
1: Cytherea looks crestfallen.
3: Oh, he is?
1: Owen picks up his book again. Mm. Cytherea looks down at the poem on her knees, sadly. Oh. The town crier rings his bell and announces the excursion by steamboat to Leuborn Bay as he walks up the hill. It is a beautiful day, and Owen and Scytheria, still in their weeds, have come down to the coast for the boat excursion. They have toiled up the hill and are seen promenading across the slope of the hill, intermittently looking at the harbour to see if the boat has arrived. Owen turns to Cytherea.
3: Look, Scytheria, there is a splendid medieval ruin at the head of this valley, and it will only take us another twenty minutes of scrambling to reach it.
2: Ugh, another twenty minutes of hill climbing?
3: Er, uh, no thanks, Owen.
1: Owen sits her gently down on a log.
3: Well, you just rest here, and I'll have a quick pop-up and look. It's an age until the boat's ready, and they'll ring the bell twice, anyway.
2: Well, all right. But you won't be long, will
3: you, Owen? No, no time at all, Scythi.
1: Owen starts walking rapidly away. Scytheria watches him go, then looks back down at the boat in the harbour. Scytheria walks up and down. The first bell rings, and violins and a harp start up below in the boat. Citherea is anxious and walks faster, looking up the hill, intermittently for Owen. It is late afternoon and the sun is becoming orangey gold as it blazes upon the heather. The boat's second bell now sounds and Ciddy gathers up Owen's handkerchief of shells and lichen and, after another desperate look uphill, hurries down to the boat. Most of the passengers are boarded via a long, single plank by the time Scytheria arrives. Scytheria is out of breath and stands by the plank, looking back and then up at the ship.
3: How then, Missy, do we board? Maybe they's awaiting someone. My
2: brother! He, he won't be long.
1: She looks back again and then sees a male figure approaching. Oh, really? The men can possibly get here in the next ten minutes? The figure, which has plunged down from the valley, is now somewhat hidden by an escarpment. They can hear his heels striking upon the stony road as he approaches.
2: I'll, I'll come up now, because he'll be here in a second. Sorry about this.
1: Captain Jacobs comes a little way down the plank and offers his hand.
2: Uh, thank you, but I'm fine. I'll I'll, I'll just be careful.
1: Scytheria holds up her skirts and carefully mounts the steep-thin plank holding onto the rope bannister. Footsteps shake the plank and are upon to her heels in a bound.
0: That was an episode of Desperate Remedies. We would like to thank our editor, David Harris, and our composer, James Cox. We would also like to thank our amazing cast. Matthew Lidbury, Haley McCready, Claire Williams, Thomas Purchase-Rathbone, Glenn Hanna, Catherine McColgan, Bernadette Davis, Caroline Joy, Jenny Bowden, Andy Luke, Steve Dean, Alex Lushington, Simon James, Mark Aldrich, Thomas Rolfe. And thank you to you, our dear listener. See you again next time.